they've been married for 30 years. He's a pioneer of Catholic lay evangelization, and she has a master's degree in theology. Put on the coffee and get ready to open the scriptures. It's time for Bible with the Barbers. Now, here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome to the Bible with the Barbers. I thought I was pinch hitting by doing our babysitting today, but my wife is coming in. And I just want to say, did you hear Father Kirby's interview from his book, Glory Unto Glory? Uh, I want you to encourage you to get that book. And that was fantastic, the interview about the life of grace and the, how he talked on the book of Genesis. I know Mary Danielle has talked a lot about uh, if you don't understand the book of Genesis, you'll miss everything about the Bible. So this is so important. And I know that she's getting into Studio A soon, and I'm in Studio B. So we'll see when that happens. But I just want to remind you, this is first Saturday, first Friday. There she is. I knew she was coming. I'm here. And am I babysitting, Bo? Yes, you are both okay. up here. All right. So I'm gonna let I'm gonna turn it over to you, my faithful bride. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. It's first Friday. It's the first Friday of the month month of March. We are in Lent, so we want to remember that we're in Lent and we're preparing. We're preparing to um, unite our lives more closely to Jesus in his passion, in his suffering. And, um, and of course, Jesus had a special love for the poor. And the reality is, is we're all very poor. We know we think when we have material things that we're rich and we don't realize that spiritually we're, we're very, very poor. Without God, we can do nothing good. You know, it's funny, nowadays, anyway, so it's first Friday. We remember to honor the, the Sacred Heart of Jesus in a very special way on the first Friday of the month. And then um, during Lent, remember no meat on Fridays during Lent. That is obligatory. For, um, it used to be anyone over the age of 14. At the age of 14, and there's no upper limit to the age for abstinence. Okay, The, the fasting laws were... Um, at least from the age of 18 or maybe 21. I, I've heard different things about that, but, but there's a, there is an upper limit because sometimes when people get older, the, the fasting is not, it's not something they can do. But anyway, it just um, what we try and do during Lent is not so much focus on ourselves or what I'm going to give up. It's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to grow closer to you in love? In love, and that was a you know beautiful feast day today. Saint Kashmir, Saint Kashmir was a Polish prince. He could have been the king of Poland. His father was the king, and Kashmir uh, was very, very. Con he was very prayerful. He was very concerned about the poor. He was very concerned about um, making sure that um, nothing unjust was done within the kingdom. So he would often consult with his father about how things were going in the kingdom, and he would advise his father and, and um, correct him, even give him fraternal correction in regards to things that needed to change within the kingdom, and even sometimes just little mistakes that were made. So beautiful, beautiful feast day, and he, he was, you know, the poor, and he took care of them, and um, it's interesting because yesterday, I believe, was the feast of St. Catherine Drexel, and uh, Mother Drexel is American-born. She was the, the heiress to a tremendous fortune uh, in the 1800s, her father had $7 million. That was the, would have been her inheritance. And um, Catherine wanted to be a religious sister, so she renounced all of that in order to serve the poor. What's interesting, though, is Father told us at, at Mass yesterday that Catherine Drexel, her parents, three days out of the week, would open up their home to the poor, and they would bring the poor into their home and feed them. 
and help them. So here these people were, you know, wealth can definitely interfere with our relationship with God because we think that we have all this wealth, we don't need God. But for the Drexels, that didn't happen. For the Drexels, they realized any good we have, any good material things that we have, any good we have, spiritual or material, comes from God and we thank him for it. And any extra that we have is given to us to share with those who do not have. By the way, that's true in the spiritual realm as well as the material realm. So the Drexels shared with the poor and Catherine grew up with this, this constant having the poor come into their home. She learned to love them. She learned to see them as persons to be loved, as images and likeness of God, made in God's image. As Terry was talking there um, when I was, he was filling in for me at the beginning, I kind of lost track of the time. I guess my clock is off a little. <laughs> and um, he was you know, talking about the Genesis and, and how poor, important it is, the book of Genesis, and to understand because in Genesis it says that man is made in God's image. We're made in God's image, and we were made to image God, and God is love, and God is not a solitude unto himself. He's a trinity of persons. God lives in relationship. There are three persons in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God lives in relationship, this relationship of love and life. And this is, this is, you know, he created man to image him, and he created the human family to be a mirror image of his inner life. So the family is supposed to image the inner life of the Trinity, as well as we, we read in the New Testament, marriage is supposed to image the relationship between Christ and his church. And so we have this beautiful, beautiful truths of our faith, and that what we want to talk about today is unlocking the mystery of the faith through scripture. You know, how do we, how do we understand the scriptures? So um, I'd like to start with the Angelus. I know it's a few minutes after 12, but we're good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done to me according to thy word. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ thy Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we ask the angels, of course, to join us here and help us to understand and enlighten our minds and hearts. To understand, remember, all of Scripture is God's holy word. All right? Every word of Scripture is inspired by God. The Holy Spirit is the primary author of Scripture. And but scripture isn't the only revelation that God gave us. Remember, the Son of God, the Word of God, became flesh. So 
God became incarnate. And this is our faith, that God is a trinity of persons, because this is what the Word made flesh when he was here on earth, and we call him Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ. He is the the Christ, the anointed one. He is the Savior, the promised Savior that God promises in Genesis. He reveals to us the inner life of the Trinity. He reveals to us that the Trinity, that God is a trinity of persons. He's not a solitude unto himself. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus reveals to us the heart of the Father. You see, in Genesis, we have it in in terms of God makes man, and he says, let us make man in our own image. In the divine image, God made them, male and female, he made them. And and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. He, He creates marriage in the beginning, and he blesses it. And he blesses man and woman, and he blesses them to be able to bring forth new life. But every child they're to bring forth, they're supposed to teach them about God and introduce them to God as their true father and to to prepare them to be with God in heaven for all eternity. And so you have this beautiful mystery of the faith. And, and you know, God made man free. Why? God is love. And in order for love to be love, it has to be free. If you hold a gun to somebody's head and say, tell me you love me, they'll say they love you maybe out of fear that you're going to kill them if they don't. But that's not love. (laughs) That's not love. Love is freely given. Love is when I freely give myself to another in service, um, in marriage in a very unique way. There's a very unique way that, that husbands and wives can express their marriage in the conjugal union that is unique to marriage and belongs in marriage only. And we're all called to live a chaste life. Everyone is called to live chastity according to their state in life. So within marriage, yes, you can engage in conjugal union, but for what purpose? For the purpose of union, for the good of the spouses, for the union of the spouses, and for procreation, to bring forth children. So it's, it's, not, it's not just one or the other, it's the two together, and you're building a family, and that family is supposed to be a mirror image of the life of the Trinity, and so I, I really want to recommend the Catechism of the Catholic Church to people. And I've been doing this, and I've, you know, I'm not going to stop doing it. I, I really think that you know, even our pastor here at, at uh, Our Lady of Grace Parish at Sacred Heart, the historic Sacred Heart Chapel in downtown Covina, Father Glenn Botten, even it, before he became Roman Catholic, he, was, he had been in Calvary Chapel, he had been a Presbyterian minister, I believe, and then he was a, a priest of the Ang- of the Anglican, right? Anglican, excuse me, the Anglican communion. And then he became Roman Catholic. And the deal is, even as a Protestant, he said he used the catechism of the Catholic Church to prepare his sermons because it's such a tremendous commentary on Scripture. If you want to understand Scripture and what the Church teaches and why, you want to look at the catechism of the Catholic Church. So, um, I'll tell you on the other side of the break what, what part in the catechism you can look to to find the mystery of the meaning of the sacrament of matrimony. What is marriage in the in scriptural view that God has left to us? Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March the 4th. Don't go away. We'll be right back on the other side of this break. I want to thank the radio stations that pick us up. 
Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome. Welcome back to Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March the 4th, the first Friday of March, um, first Friday in Lent this year. <laughs> and um, we just had Ash Wednesday. We're getting, we're preparing now for Easter. But in that preparation, um, there is no Easter Sunday without Good Friday. Uh, without Jesus dying on the cross, what is the resurrection? And, um, but without the resurrection, what is the cross? So we, we look at these great mysteries of our faith. We look at God's tremendous love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that all who believe in him might have eternal life, John three sixteen. But he didn't just give him in the past. The second person of the Blessed Trinity remains with us in the Holy Eucharist. Jesus gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity to nourish us spiritually and physically so that we can live a life of holiness, a life of union with God, because this is what we're called to. When God made man in the beginning, he made him in his own image, and he called man to live a life of union with him, to live in communion with the Lord his God. We aren't called to mediocrity. We're not called to smallness. We're not called to degradation. We're not called to live for titillation or you know, passing pleasures of this world. We're called to live in union with God for all of time and for all eternity. So the great sacrament of matrimony, one of the great mysteries of our faith, is it was established by God in the beginning, and this became clear in the Gospels. And this is John Paul II, you know, his theology of the body, and he takes his, from, from Jesus' um, discussion with the Pharisees when they came up to him and they're testing him about marriage. Well, Moses commanded a decree of divorce. Well, excuse me. <laughs> Moses didn't command a decree of divorce. Moses commanded that if you're going to divorce your wife, you have to give her a decree. But the reality was, Jesus said, it was because of the hardness of your hearts, because you had hardened your hearts against God. You see, in the beginning, God didn't intend for a man and a woman to ever separate once they were married. They were married for life. It's a lifelong commitment. Just like God doesn't separate himself from himself. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are never at odds with each other. They don't argue. They don't fight. <laughs> they work. They are, it's a trinity of persons. There's only one God. And so marriage is supposed to image this. And Jesus doesn't divorce himself from his church, the one church that he founded. And we have in the New Testament very clearly that, yeah, marriage is also supposed to be a, a, an image of the relationship between Christ and his church. So if you look at the sacrament of matrimony in the catechism of the Catholic Church, there are quite a few paragraphs. It begins with paragraph 1601, and it goes all the way up to paragraph 16, oh my word, what are, what are my out here? 1658, now those are the actual paragraphs, and then you have from 1659 to 1666 are some summary paragraphs. They call it in brief. So they give you a summary of what the church teaching is. I, I encourage all married couples and all people to read this so that we understand what marriage is and the dignity of the human person and the dignity of our sexuality. Our human sexuality was, remember, sex, first of all, is male and female, right? Our gender. And it wasn't made for us to just pleasure ourselves. It was made as a means of union in marriage for the purpose of procreation and the good of the spouses. And outside of marriage, we can renounce, freely renounce the, the 
um, use of the sexual faculty in its unitive and procreative aspects as a, as a sacrifice to God. Remember Jesus talked about eunuchs? And there are those who have, who have been made eunuchs by other men. You know, in the old days, kings would, the man in charge of their treasury or the man in charge of their harem in the pagan religions, um, he was a eunuch and he was made a eunuch by the king <laughs> so that he would safeguard what belonged to the king for the sake of the king. And, and then you have, but there are eunuchs from birth, Jesus says. Some people are incapable of sexual activity from birth. And then there are eunuchs who have freely renounced sexual activity for the sake of the kingdom. So we're all called to live a chaste life. No one is exempt from that. Everyone is called to live chastity. And we live that chastity in union with God. And the, the whole reality is, is, you know, the pleasures of this world are passing. And they can never satisfy the longing of our heart because we were made by God for God and for union with God. So only that union with God can satisfy the longings of our heart. So we want to grow in that mystery of union with God. And in so doing, we cannot ignore the needs of our neighbor. So we serve. We serve one another. As St. Casimir, you know, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the sick, visit the imprisoned, shelter the homeless. And these are all the works of mercy, which Jesus at the, the last judgment, what is he going to say? You know, Come, you blessed of my father, for I was hungry and you gave me to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. I was sick or in prison and you visited me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was away from home and you welcomed me. These are the, these are the things we'll be judged on. It's not earning our salvation by good works. It's doing what the Lord commanded, to love our neighbor even to the point of sacrificing from our own material goods and from our own spiritual goods to sacrifice for others, to pray for others, to sacri make sacrifices for them, for their salvation. So we have you know, the whole catechism. The catechism goes through the entire creed, and then it goes through the seven sacraments and the Ten Commandments. And um, there's so much here, you can't do all of it in one day. But the mysteries of Jesus' public life. And I want to give you an example of how you know, this is tied into the catechism. So you have the baptism of Jesus, paragraph 535. Jesus' public life begins with his baptism by John in the Jordan. Jesus preaches a baptism of repentance. Excuse me. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. A crowd of sinners, tax collectors, soldiers, Pharisees, and Sadducees, and prostitutes came to be baptized by him. Then Jesus appears. Jesus came to be baptized by John, remember? The Baptist hesitates, but Jesus insists and receives baptism. Then... The Holy Spirit in the form of a dove comes upon Jesus and a voice from heaven proclaims, this is my beloved son. This is the manifestation, the epiphany of Jesus as the Messiah of Israel and son of God. Now, this manifestation doesn't come for Jesus' sake. Jesus already knows this. He knows who he is and what his mission is. But what I want to point out here is in this particular paragraph, you have footnotes, 228, 229, 230, 231. And these are all scripture passages. This, this whole paragraph is, you know, the church is explaining the meaning of the baptism of the Lord. Luke 3, 23, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son as it was supposed, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Heli. And then what? 
Acts 1.22, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to the resurrection. Now that that's when Peter says we have to choose someone to take the office of Judas. Judas betrayed our Lord. He went and committed suicide. And so his office needs to be filled, is what Peter is saying. And then Luke 3, 10 through 14. And the multitudes ask him, what shall we do? Now they're talking to John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist baptizing in the wilderness. And he answered them, he who has two coats, let him share with him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said, collect no more than is appointed to you. Soldiers asked him, and what shall we do? And he said to them, rob no one by violence or by false accusation and be content with your pay. And then in Matthew 3, 7, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come. Again, the baptism of the Lord. Jesus goes to receive the baptism that John is giving. Well, John is giving a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus isn't sinful. He doesn't need to be baptized. But we begin to understand Jesus identifies with sinners. He didn't come to separate himself from sinners. He didn't come to lord it over us and say, yeah, I'm the perfect one. I'm going to show you how to live perfectly. And you all just watch me and, and, and you better follow my example. You know, no, he identifies with sinners. He has compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. He has compassion. He feels our pain. You know, it's interesting in the Gospels, Bishop Sheen points this out. Whenever Jesus heals someone, read the Gospels carefully. He sighed. He groaned. He feels the pain. The pain of the blindness, the pain of the leprosy, the pain of not being able to hear or speak. And, and, and there's this, you know, he, he gives this, he's there with us, experiencing the suffering with us. He really took to himself a human nature. He really suffered in his human nature. And not just on Calvary, not just in his passion, but his entire life. And still paragraph 435, the last, the last footnote here is Matthew 21, 35. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward repent and believe him. He, Jesus there was talking, that's after John's death already, and, and Jesus is talking to the, um, the Pharisees and the scribes. He's saying, John preached a baptism of repentance, the sinners came, they repented, but you don't want to repent. You say, we see, we don't have, we have no problem here. We're, we're sinless. Well, if you're sinless, you don't need a Messiah. And that, you know, we're not saying the Blessed Mother didn't need a Messiah. She did. What the church understands is the Blessed Mother was preserved from original sin in view of the merits of her son. You see, God is outside of time. And God can do that. We're bound by time, but God's not. And so... In view of the merits of her son, the Blessed Mother was preserved from original sin. Not because of any merit of her own. Not because she's some kind of a goddess. Not because she didn't need a Messiah. And this was what Thomas Aquinas, this was his difficulty with the concept of the Immaculate Conception. It wasn't the concept of Mary being ever sinless because he preached on that. And he wrote about that in his Summa. 
But in his day, theologians were explaining that, oh, but the Blessed Mother didn't need to be redeemed because she was sinless from the first moment of her conception. And Thomas said, no, that can't be. You're separating her from Christ. She needed Christ just as much as anyone else did. But he didn't know how to explain it. God didn't give him the insight. And that, you know, the beautiful, the humility of Thomas. So he remained silent on the issue because he wasn't going to confuse people. So he remained silent on the issue for most of his life. Said, you know, at the beginning of his life, he preached a sermon on it. He writes about it in the Summa. At the end of his life, according to a Norbertine priest who used to, he, he talked about this in one of his sermons, one of his very last sermons was preached on the ever sinlessness of Mary. Thomas believed it, but he couldn't accept the theological explanation that she didn't need to be redeemed because that's not possible. Yes, she needed to be redeemed, but she's redeemed beforehand in view of the merits of her son. So all of that from the baptism of our Lord, this great mystery of faith where our Lord identifies himself with sinners and he comes and he allows himself to be baptized, to be viewed as a sinner. And yet he's not. He came to save sinners. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more on Bible with the Barbers, talking about the mysteries of our faith and looking at it through the catechism to see how the scripture is revealed to us. Now back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Virgin Most Powerful Radio, the Bible with the Barbers, on this Friday, March the 4th, 2022. And I want to thank all the radio stations that pick up our, our signal, stations across, and there's lots of other little stations. Thank you so much. I want to thank all of our app listeners, all of those who tune in um, maybe on our website or on Facebook or on Rumble. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your support. Those of you who support us financially, those of you who support us with your volunteer hours, those of you who support us with your sacrifices and your prayers, which are so vital to this work. You cannot do an apostolic work without God's grace. And you cannot do God's work without being willing to sacrifice and pray and without having people to pray and sacrifice for you. Um, the Blessed Mother said at Fatima that souls go to hell every day because there's no one to pray and sacrifice for them. And in the Legion of Mary, which was founded by Frank Duff, and it was the primary purpose of the Legion of Mary is the sanctification of the individual members. So it's for people to become saints and then evangelize according to the duties of their state and life and, and participate in the evangelization work of the church according to the duties of their state and life. But every active member is told that they should recruit at least 10 auxiliary members to pray for them. So you have the active members who go out and do the active work of apostolate. And then behind them, you have people praying every day for their work, that God's grace will be poured out and so that their work will be effective and they'll be able to you know, touch souls and bring them back. And so we're talking here um, about the mysteries of our faith and the, the, the great mystery of you know, this, this union with one another and with, with Christ and that we're called to union. And of course, in the very beginning in Genesis, it's reflected in the, the marriage of man and woman that God established and that they, they bring forth children. And then those children should be brought up in the faith and taught that they're made for union with God and union with one another. We're, you know, we can't, in, in the letter of John, the first letter of John, it says, don't tell me you love the, bro- you love the God whom you do not see when you hate the brother you see. So we want to cast all hatred and anger and ill will out of our hearts. We have the emotions, okay? And we have to live with that. But don't 
give in to the emotion of anger, the emotion of hatred with, with your will. You know, when somebody does an injustice against you or you see an injustice done against someone else, we should, according to the Father's Church, we as human beings should feel the emotion of anger. But the question is, what do we do with it? How do we properly respond? Number one, we have to ask ourselves, well, can, can, is this a, a, an injustice I can correct? Is it my place to correct it? And if it is, what's the proper means and the proper measure? And, and again, if it's not my place to correct that injustice, I, may, I, I take that to the Lord in prayer and pray. It's like our Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross. The, it was unjust what was being done to our Lord, but he freely accepts that injustice. So she, in union with him, freely accepts that injustice for the salvation of the world. So Jesus comes to the Jordan to be baptized by John. He's not a sinner, and John objects, Lord... <laughs> wait a minute, I should be baptized by you. You're the Messiah. You should be, and and Jesus tells him, you know, let it be so for now to fulfill all righteousness. And then we looked at paragraph 535. And then in paragraph 536, it explains, the baptism of Jesus is on his part, the acceptance and inauguration of his mission as God's suffering servant. He allows God who takes, excuse me, he allows himself He allows himself to be numbered among sinners. He is already the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, you know, the acceptance of his mission, uh, there's a footnote there. And the footnote 232 is John 129, which, you know, Jesus is the lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist had pointed out. Look, there's the lamb of God. And then Isaiah 53.12, well, Isaiah 53.12 Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and made intercession for their transgressors, transgressions. Read all of that chapter, chapter 53, chapter 53 of Isaiah and, and the, the few verses at the end of 52 before that that talks about the suffering servant. And so Jesus at his baptism, this is, he's already, he already knows he's the lamb of God. He's inaugurating his mission. This is not something all of a sudden Jesus is discovering who he is and what his mission is. No, Jesus is inaugurating his mission. He's doing this. This is, he knows what he's about. Already he is anticipating the baptism of his bloody death. And again, the church footnotes, compare Mark 10:38 and Luke 12:50. Mark 10, 38. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup that I am to drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Remember when James and John asked to sit on his right and his left? And that's what he responds to them. And then in Luke 12, 50, I have a baptism with which to be baptized and how I am constrained until it is accomplished. So he's aware of this baptism, but this isn't, it's a baptism in his sufferings, right? Already he is coming to fulfill all righteousness. That is submitting himself entirely to the father's will out of love. He consents to this baptism of death for the remission of our sins. So out of love for the father, he will submit. And remember in the garden, 
He says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by, but not my will, but thine be done. Jesus foretells his passion and death throughout the Gospels. He already knows it's coming, and he's willing to do this because he loves us sinners, and he wants to bring us sinners home. Don't be afraid to go to confession. Jesus already knows all our sins. There's nothing to hide from him. He wants to forgive everything. All we have to do is ask. Just ask. Forgiveness is ours for the asking, and he desires He died to forgive us. The father's voice responds when Jesus is, um, you know, when Jesus comes to be baptized, remember? Jesus tells John when John objects, he says, well, let this, you know, John says, I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, let it be so for now to fulfill all righteousness. And then Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water. And what happens? The father's voice responds to his son's acceptance, proclaiming his delight in his son. This is my beloved son in whom I take delight. The Father's voice isn't heard for Jesus' sake. It's heard for the sake of those around, so that they understand that God has put his seal on this man, who's not a human person, he's a divine person, who has a human nature, who has come to save us from sin, and will take away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God. The spirit whom Jesus possessed in fullness from his conception comes to rest on him. And remember that the baptism of John, it says that the spirit came to rest on him in the form of a dove, right? The Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form as a dove and a voice came from heaven. Thou art my beloved son. With thee I am well pleased. And that's footnote uh, 236 of paragraph 536. Jesus will be the source of the Spirit for all mankind. At his baptism, the heavens were opened. The heavens that were closed by Adam's sin are now opened. And the Holy Spirit descends out of heaven, as it were. And the waters were sanctified by the scent of Jesus and the Spirit, a prelude to the new creation. So the waters are sanctified by Jesus' presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Just as in the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters in Genesis. Remember? So we have the waters sanctified, and the heavens which had been closed because of Adam's sin are now open because of the righteous act of Jesus to fulfill all righteousness. He comes to do the Father's will. And so he opens the heavens and, you know, behold my servant who uphold, uh, whom I uphold, it says in Isaiah 42.1. My chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then um, in Isaiah 11, 2, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and a fear of the Lord. So you see, and these are footnotes in the catechism, and they're all scripture passages showing us how to fully understand and more completely, and not only understand what this particular passage, we don't take a passage in isolation, but how does it fit in with the rest of Scripture? There's only one word. God only speaks one word, his son. There's only one word of God, his son. And all of Scripture speaks that one word. It's like, oh, um, wow, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't say that much in one word, 
you know, the Holy Bible? Could, could, could you? No. <laughs> you know, I have a lot of hot air. I can say a lot of hot air. <laughs> but all of Scripture speaks to us of Christ, the Son of God, who became man to free us from sin and to, to reconcile us to the Father. We were at odds with God because of our sin. And Jesus comes to bring us back into union with God. These great mysteries of our faith. And you know, we have the mysteries of Jesus' public life. We have the very mystery of his incarnation, that the Son of God would become man, and that he established a church, right? You know, the church. Jesus, he says to Peter, you are rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I give to thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, does that mean that Peter could do anything he wanted? No. Peter was entrusted with a sacred trust, the sacred deposit of faith which the Lord left him, which the church teaches us is scripture, the, the life of our Lord, the revelation of Christ himself, and is especially expressed in the liturgy and the magisterium of the church, that, that Jesus founded a church to safeguard this sacred deposit that he left. So the church can't just all of a sudden say, well, you know, for 2,000 years the church has taught this and some pope comes along and say, well, I, I changed it. I, I, no, it has to be consistent with what the church has always taught. We're coming up against another break. Thank you for joining us, and I'll be right back. Please don't go away. Tell your friends and your family about Virgin Most Powerful Radio and share this broadcast with them. Now, back to Bible with the Barbers. If you have a question or comment, call 888-526-2151. Here's Terry and Mary Danielle. Welcome back. So we're trying to unlock some of the mysteries of our faith by looking at the catechism and seeing how the catechism of the Catholic Church enlightens us on the meaning of the scriptures and how the church is very faithful to the sacred scriptures. As a matter of fact, the sacred scriptures come to us from the church. We know that it was the bishops of the Catholic Church who actually pronounced the canon of scripture. The Jews didn't have a canon of scripture. They didn't have a canon of scripture at the time of Christ. They were not in agreement of what books were scripture. And so, um, you know, some groups, the, the, the Sadducees, for instance, only accepted the first five books, the Torah. Um, there were other groups that accepted the, you know, the first five books and then some of the prophets and some of the writings and um, the wisdom books. And, you know, there, were, there was a different, there was a disagreement. And um, so we have the, the bishops of the Roman Catholic Church were the ones who told us what, and, and again, it wasn't at the Council of Trent. It was in um, 395 um, uh, AD and, and then at the councils of Hippo and Carthage early on. And then, but at the Council of Trent, because there were certain reformers, men who called themselves reformers, there were problems in the church, but um, we, don't, we don't fix the church by rebelling against her and starting our own church. We fix the church by becoming saints and offering our lives to God the way Jesus offered his. We follow his example. And so um, they rejected certain books of the Bible. And so at the Council of Trent, what the Council of Trent did was take the canon that had already been proclaimed by the Catholic Church since the, the late 300s and early 400s, okay? So for over a thousand years, that, that had been the accepted canon. 
And now she codified it. She said, this is it. You cannot add or subtract anything. This is the scriptures that we, we recognize. So um, one of the mysteries here I want to look at is Article 9 in the Catechism. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And if you want to know how, how extensive this is, um, in the, the green, I have the green edition, the second edition, the green Catechism of the Catholic Church. But it's paragraphs, this would be in anyone, paragraph 748 all the way through 945 and it goes from page 197 to page 246. So this is over a, 100 pages on, I believe, in the Catholic Church. And, you know, what are the names and images of the church? Well, the ecclesia, or the Greek, uh, from, from the Greek, which means call out of. That means a convocation or an assembly. And it's frequently used in the Greek Old Testament for the assembly of the chosen people, of God's chosen people. Above all, for the assembly on Mount Sinai, will Israel receive the law and was established by God as his holy people. And you can look in Exodus 19 for that reference. By calling itself church, the first community of Christian believers recognized itself as heir to that assembly. So Jesus, you know, in the Old Testament, God formed his church. And then in the New Testament, he establishes the church that he, this is his church that he founded. The Old Testament, there are things in the Old Testament that are provisional. And the ecclesia, the community of God, of believers that God had called. And remember, he, when God called Israel to be his own, a people per, peculiarly his own, it wasn't so that they could keep the secret about God to themselves. It was so that they could go out and bring the nations to God. They were supposed to bring God to the nations and bring the nations to God through their living the Ten Commandments and showing their charity toward one another. And, of course, this was in the early Christian days at, at, when Jesus founded his church. What did the pagans say about the Christians? In the Acts of the Apostle, it says, See those Christians, how they love one another. Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches us to forgive our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. And we do this because this is what Jesus taught us. We have to do this. As a matter of fact, in the Our Father, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. So we beg for the grace to forgive. And this is the beauty of the church. And the church is revealed to us in the New Testament as the bride of Christ, as the people of God, you know, as his as his community and there's just there's so many beautiful beautiful you know the sheepfold remember jesus is the good shepherd so the church is the sheepfold the church is a sheepfold the sole and necessary gateway to which is christ it is also the flock of which god himself foretold that he would be the shepherd and whose sheep even though governed by human shepherds are unfailingly nourished and led by Christ himself. It is Jesus who nourishes and leads his church. Okay? It's not, you know, it's interesting. In the seven sacraments, when, for instance, when Catholics go to confession and the priest says, I absolve you, we understand that it's, the priest is acting in the person of Christ, that Jesus himself is acting in and through the priest to absolve us of our sins. There was a man who once had visions of our Blessed Mother, and he was converted to the Catholic faith. And she told him about confession. And this is what she told him. She said, when you go to confession, you're at the foot of the cross of my son. And if you're sorry for your sins, 
the blood of my son washes down upon you to make you clean. And she also told him, I am there to help you. She as a mother is there to encourage us as her children to be sorry for our sins, to assure us that Jesus loves us. He wants to forgive our sins. He died to forgive our sins. He's more than happy to wash away our sins in his precious blood. And so the priest says, I absolve you. And as Bishop Sheen described it, picture this as the priest raises his hand in blessing over you. Picture the wounded hand of Christ on the cross and his precious blood falling down upon your your body and your soul to cleanse you from sin as he makes the sign of the cross over you. This is our salvation. Jesus died on the cross. This is why Catholics still have Jesus on the cross, not because we think Jesus is still dying, but because we're a forgetful people and we forget the price that was paid. So we have the crucifix with the bloody depiction of how Jesus suffered so that we don't forget. But the church is his bride. You know, he came. He came from heaven to seek her out and to buy her with his precious blood, to wash her clean and in his blood. And, and this is a plan that's born in the Father's heart. And, you know, from the beginning of the world, the church is already foreshadowed. God is already foretelling it. Christians of the first century said the world was created for the sake of the church. God created the world for the sake of a communion with his divine life, a communion brought about by the convocation of men in Christ. And this convocation is the church. The church is the goal of all things. And God permitted such painful upheaval as the angels fall and man's sin only as occasions and means of displaying all the power of his arm and the whole measure of the love he wanted to give the world. Just as God's will, just as God's will is creation, is called the world, so his intention is the salvation of men, and it is called the church. So just as God's will is creation and is called the world, God created the world. So his intention is salvation and it is called the church. And that's from Clement of Alexandria. And so you have these ancient Christian writings. This is paragraph 760 in the paragraph in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And you have these ancient Christian writings that explain to us what the early Christians believed. In that paragraph, they quote from, they quote from, um, Aristides, his ap 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 apologia, his apology, Justin, the martyr, his apology, Tertullian, his apologetics, St. Epiphanius. So all of these, these, these fathers of the church, these are the early Christian writers who were explaining to the early Christian community what was God's intent from the beginning. Okay, and the church, was, of course, was prepared for in the Old Testament. That's why, you know, Jesus, God chooses a people. He chooses Israel out of the world to be his assembly. But they're supposed to bring then, they're supposed to bring God to the world. They're not supposed to just keep God to themselves. And, and they're supposed to, you know, fulfill their mission by sanctifying the world they're in. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to continue that. And then we have the church in paragraph 763 instituted by Jesus Christ. He comes and he institutes the church. 
The Lord Jesus inaugurated his church by preaching the good news, that is, the coming of the reign of God, promised over the ages of Scripture. And, you know, the coming of the reign of God, the church is the reign of God on earth. (laughs) It's not, you know, there was one cynical author who wrote, well, Jesus preached the kingdom and we got the church. No, the church is the kingdom on earth, but it's not a permanent kingdom on earth. Everything on this earth is passing. We're looking for our permanent home in heaven, union with God for all eternity. Paragraph 764, the kingdom shines out before men in the word, in the works, and in the presence of Christ. So in the word of scripture, in the works that God's given the church to do, and in the presence of Christ. To welcome Jesus' word is to welcome the kingdom itself. The seed and the beginning of the kingdom are the little flock of whose of of those whom Jesus came to gather around him, the flock whose shepherd he is. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. I know mine and mine know me. They form Jesus's true family to those whom he has thus gathered around him. He taught a new way of acting and a prayer of their own. Matthew 5, 6. Remember the chapters in in Matthew's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaches us. So that was paragraph 764. And again, if you have the companion to the catechism, you can look up these footnotes and see all of these passages that are footnoted here. So they have all of Matthew 5 and 6 there as a footnote for paragraph 764. And they have all of John 10, 1 through 21 as a footnote for paragraph 764. So... There's a lot there. There's a lot of scripture here, a whole lot of scripture that's being quoted and explained to us that this was Jesus is establishing his church. And of course, we know that from the the letters of Paul that his church is his bride. And that's we're coming up here. This is the end of her hour. It's gone awful fast, but I want you to understand there's so many mysteries of our faith. Of course, the greatest mystery is the Trinity, that God is a Trinity of persons. And that we're made and, you know, and that he revealed himself thus. But, but then, you know, the catechism, read your catechism, study it, look up the scripture passages that are there in the footnotes, understand how the church reads the scriptures. And of course, we read the scriptures, we try to read them with the heart of Christ. So thank you for joining us. Thank you again, all the radio stations that pick us up, all our app listeners, all those who listen on Rumble, on Facebook. Um, those who are listening on our um, Virgin Most Powerful Radio website, share this with your friends and families, please. Like it and share it. Let other people know that we're here. We want to build each other up in the faith. We want to say only the good things that men need to hear, things that will truly build them up in the Lord. Thank you for joining us on Bible with the Barbers on this Friday, March the 4th, 2022. May God bless you.